Well, good morning, and thank you, Dan. Well, Thanksgiving is behind us. Christmas is coming down to us. I think we finally caught up with the retailers to start promoting it, I think, after summer this year. <laughs> Christmas came out early, didn't it? I know my uh, family and I just got back from uh, Texas. We had we went down to Indiana and Arkansas, Texas. We came up through Oklahoma City. It was over 2,500 miles in the car, the car of adults. So we got a little feel of what God's unconditional love looks like <laughs> as a family. I know that uh, the holidays can typically be a stressful time for people. I know that um, uh, many have lost uh, loved ones. We had uh, somebody from Springbrook lost their husband last week. I had um, uh, one of our family members had lost a loved one when we were down in Arkansas. And so it's just a lot of stress that comes out with the holidays. And, you know, some of it is um, self-imposed. And so I think that um, one of the things I really want to do with our time together this morning is kind of refocus us on what it means to have uh, Christ in Christmas. He's the reason for the season, and so in one sense, we don't have to put him in Christmas because, you know, he's the reason we're there, right? And so, but uh, we want to uh, remind ourselves uh, not to let other things uh, push him out because our culture will try to redefine uh, what it means to be a Christ follower, you know, through holidays such as this. And so this morning we want to look at one of the greatest gifts that God's given us, uh, that's the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that will be the focus of our time this morning. And we want to look at a key passage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's John 3.16. So how many of you have heard of that passage? Just raise your hand if that's a familiar passage to you. Everybody? I was going to um, ask people if you haven't heard of it, but I didn't want to put anybody on the spot because I think that for the majority of people, uh, John 3.16 is a very popular passage. I know growing up, uh, even before I was a Christ follower, when I started college, I went to the University of Oklahoma, and uh, we were a football frenzy team, man. And, uh, and there was a little guy in the corner, always had his little sign that said, John 3.16. He was always up in the, in the back behind the goal, and he was always holding that sign up. And nobody ever thought, I never thought to ask, well, what is that? <laughs> you know, I saw it, and so, uh, you know, I had heard about it, but I wasn't really familiar with it. And so kind of growing up, that was something that was new to me. Um, interestingly enough, last week we were down in at uh, In-N-Out Burger. We had In-N-Out Burger in Texas. Oh, they make good burgers. And so I picked up my Coke, a cola, and I looked at the bottom of the cup, and it's got John 3.16 right there on the bottom of the cup. And so I see John 3.16 everywhere. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with it. Uh, this morning we want to focus about what it means to us uh, as Christ followers. And so let's start by looking at John 3.16. Let's just say this passage together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I love this passage because, you know, it starts out with the fact that it, just, it makes a statement. It's almost a, it's a promise. It's just a fact. It's a reality that um, God loves the world. You know, God loves everybody in the world. He loved it. He created it. And it's an unconditional kind of a love. I think many times people look at a passage like this and think, well, can God really love me? And the answer to that question is yes. God loves us unconditionally. It's not based on our behavior. It's not whether or not we're good enough. It's not about anything inherent in our own lives. Uh, The fact of the matter is that God loves each and every one of us. You know, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God loves uh, the world. He loves everybody in it. It's an irrevocable promise. It's a guarantee. God loves us so much that he did what? That he, that he gave us his son. That is the ultimate Christmas gift, the gift of his son. God sent his son into the world uh, to relate to us, to draw us into a relationship with him so we could enjoy the full benefits of having a relationship with him. And so Jesus is the gift. 
And so as we head into Christmas, and you know, there's a lot of conversations about Christmas and Christmas gifts. The ultimate gift is the one that we have through Jesus Christ, uh, through God's Son. It's not what you know. It's not um, what God holds back from us that is a reflection of His love. I think a lot of times people will say, "Well, why does this happen in my life? God must not love me." No, God does love you. If you're in doubt, you just need to look at the cross. And so the reality of the matter is, is that God loves us unconditionally. It's irrevocable, and it's a reality. And so how do you know God loves us? You look to the cross. God loved the world so much that he gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the key to this passage here is a transition. We have the reality of God's love. We have the gift of his son, but then we transition into something that is really critical for you and I this morning. It's that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so the reality of the fact is that God loves us. We've got his son, but it's only those who believe in him that have the assurance of not perishing and having eternal life. And so this morning I want to just talk to you about what does it mean to actually believe that passage. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to be able to quote it. It's another thing completely different to say, hey, I believe it, and it's changed my life. And if you brought your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John. We're going to look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It starts off by saying there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council ruling council. He's not just a Jew. He's not just a God follower or a God fearer. He's not just a priest. He's not just participating in what God's doing through the Israelites. Nicodemus is about as high up as you can go among the Jews. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so he would be familiar with God's word in and out. He's he's a high-ranking Jewish uh, believer. And so he knows scripture. And he starts hearing about these stories about Jesus. And in verse 2, it says, one night he comes to Jesus. I love it, it's at night. And so we've got this high-ranking Jewish official coming to talk to Jesus at night. Why would he come at night? He doesn't want anybody to know what's kind of going on. He's kind of embarrassed. You know, it's like, hey, there's some things that I should know that I don't. And so he kind of sneaks off to see Jesus one night. And he approaches him and he says, hey, look, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miracles and the miraculous signs that you're doing if God was not with him. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, yeah, you're right, man. Thanks for the compliment. He doesn't enter a dialogue with him. And so he understands who Nicodemus is, and he he goes right to the heart of the matter. And he says, in reply to what Nicodemus says, he said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus says, wow, how can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus says, surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb. And so Nicodemus knows what it means to be born and to give birth to a baby. And so Jesus says, hey, look, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. And and Nicodemus is thinking, well, wait a second, I'm not going to crawl up in there and get born again. You know, what does this mean? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. That's what it means to be born again, to be born of water and spirit. The flesh gives birth to the flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying you should be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
And then verse 9, Nicodemus says, man, how can this be? Jesus says to him in verse 10, he says, look, you are Israel's teacher. You should, you should know these things and you don't understand what I'm saying to you. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. And so Jesus starts to challenge him on this idea of what it means to be born again. And, and, and he talks about the fact that we need to be born of water and spirit. And, and Jesus is alluding to some passages that Nicodemus should be very much familiar with as a teacher of the law. He points back to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. This is not in your outline, but it's here on the screen here. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And so the prophet is speaking to God's people that have been um, in rebellion. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to set them apart. He's got another plan and a purpose from him. And he says, look, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And you're going to be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I'm going to cleanse you. All these things you're going to put aside, you're going to be cleansed. And then he says in the next verse, he says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put in with you. I'm going to do something different in your life. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to remove that heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And to be careful to obey my rules. And so Jesus claims this Old Testament passage and, talk, and, and applies it to himself and says, look, to be born again for you means that we're to put away all those other idols, all those other distractions in our life, and in and, and, and Jesus' case, focus on him. When a person becomes a Christ follower, the old is gone, the new has come. You die to yourself, you're born again, you're made new. And this cleansing occurs through that process of placing your faith in Christ. And so Jesus takes that passage from Ezekiel. He applies it to himself. Nicodemus doesn't get it and says, I don't understand why you don't get this. You should know different. In verse 12, he said, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe them. How are you going to believe it if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You know, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He didn't just ascend to heaven. He came down first and ascended back. And so no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come down. Just as Moses um, lifted up the, the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man may be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Moses didn't uh, lift up a literal snake. Jesus is referring back to a passage back in Numbers where God's people, again, are in rebellion. And as a result of their rebelliousness, uh, the fact that they've turned from God and their disobedience, um, they've been stricken with illness and disease. And God says, look, my people are in rebellion, but if they will look to me, uh, make yourself a staff uh, with a brass serpent on it. And those people that look to that staff will be cleansed. They will be healed. Now, I can't imagine. I was looking through that passage, and I was surprised by how many people don't look. I mean, if I had some kind of a disease and, and I wanted to be healed and somebody said, hey, look, if you'll choose God and just kind of look through the serpent, you'll be healed. Why wouldn't somebody want that? And I think the same thing happens to us with Jesus today. You know, if you want to be cleansed, you know, why wouldn't you look to Jesus? But in the Old Testament, you know, there's a group of people that looked to the serpent. They were cleansed. And Jesus says in the same way that Moses lifted that serpent up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him 
may have eternal life. And so they may experience this new life, so that they may be cleansed, so that they can put these old idols aside and not be distracted by the things of this world. Put all of those false idols aside, and then, and then more importantly, be obedient and obey their commandments. And so Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again, what it means to be cleansed, what it means to have the spirit of life entered into him, and what it means to choose and to make a decision to follow over. And then he says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have eternal life. And so that belief is a key transition from intellectually understanding that Jesus existed to understanding who he is to understanding our fallen condition and what he's offering to us. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son. We have this beautiful gift in God's Son. But for what purpose? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so it looks something like this. Let's break that down a little bit. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God loves everybody. You know, I talked to... uh, a lot of people about God's existence and, you know, do you believe it? I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago and um, he just didn't believe, you know, that God existed. And I was like, well, that's okay because he does and, you know, God believes in you. <laughs> so God loves you in spite of your disbelief. And so I was talking to another guy who was going down to uh, see my daughter down in Western and we were on the train and we were talking about, um, you know, what's he doing? He's graduated and he found out I was a pastor. I typically don't like to pull that out at the end, because somehow it changes the dynamic of the conversation. But he said, well, since I got you, <laughs> I got some questions for you. I said, great. And so uh, we started asking some questions, and it came down to, I said, well, hey, look, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, well, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. I mean, from a historical perspective, the reality of Jesus Christ existing is really indisputable. If you look back, not only at Scripture, but the extemporaneous writings, if you look at the writings of Josephus, if you just look at history, There's a recognition that Jesus existed. And so the kind of belief that God calls us into is not this, you know, this belief, a physical belief, but a belief in understanding who he is. Uh, But but the reality of the fact is that God does love the world. He does have a plan and purpose for us. And so God loves everybody, irrespective of our behavior. And so I was having a conversation with this kid. And so, you mean if I do this, then God still loves me? It's like, well, you know, yeah. I said, (laughs) I wouldn't suggest that. I said, that's not something that, you know, you would want to do. But God's love for us is not conditional. It's not based on our behavior. He doesn't look down at us and see uh, and love somebody based on their condition or based on their behavior, and the love is irrevocable. God loves you, and he does have a plan for you for your life. And so God does love the world. But then we have the second part of this passage that is really uh, important for us today. God loves us, but whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. And so this is what I want to focus on for a moment because it's the belief that ensures that we have the confidence in knowing that we have the eternal life with God. It's not just enough to believe that Jesus existed, but to believe in him, to place our faith in him, kind of like um, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to understand your sinful condition, that we're all in rebellion, we're separated from God, and, and God will cleanse us through that as Jesus is lifted up. And so we put our faith not just in him, but what was accomplished for us on our behalf at the cross. And so we place our faith in him, and that's where we have the security of not perishing. That's where we have the security of having you know, eternal hope. And this is, this, is, this is kind of the crux of, 
of uh, our topic this morning. Because when I look at this, you know, it's a very simple passage, and uh, you know, I've, I've heard it a lot, I've seen it a lot, but the implications for it are profound. Because if you look, if you look to the right side there, um, those that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the conversations I've had, you know, with people at Springbrook, there's, there's, uh, and this has been my experience. I don't know what your experience has been, but this has been my experience. We have people that will come into Springbrook. They have questions about God or the Bible. They might have questions about church. Ultimately, um, you know, there's been questions about, well, are you Catholic or is it Beth, you know, Methodist, Baptist? And so when I talk to people about church, it's not really about the denomination, but really about, well, what do you believe about God and the Bible? You know, Springbrook, we believe the Bible. The Bible is the foundation for everything that we teach. Christ is the central focus for that. And so I try to talk to people about what it means to have a relationship with Christ because that's what's first and foremost. Everything else is kind of birthed out of that. And in my conversations with people, ultimately I'll ask, well, when did you make a faith commitment? Have you made a faith commitment? And I would say that um, the majority of time somebody can articulate that, but it's been my experience that maybe three out of four can, one out of four can't. And so statistically, based on my conversations, one out of four people in here this morning don't have the ability to articulate a faith commitment. They don't have the assurance of spending eternity in God with heaven. They're confused about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And if that's where you are this morning, I am so glad that you are here because you need to know that God does love you. You need to know that Christ is who he claimed to be. And the reality of the promise is, is that when we place our faith in him, we have the assurance of heaven. I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, I was in healthcare before ministry. And when I first became a believer, and this reality sank in for me, I was excited. It was like all the confusion kind of went away. It was my focus was on Christ. And I started talking to people about, about my faith commitment. And, uh, you know, some friends thought I had joined a cult. Uh, when I got baptized, it kind of created a little bit of a stir uh, amongst my family and friends. And so it was really interesting because I found myself excited about what I had in Christ, but wasn't really getting, feeling the love from anybody around me. And it was interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, well, you know, I know I'm going to heaven. He said, well, you can't know you're going to heaven. I was like, well, sure I can. That's what this promise is all about. He said, well, that's kind of presumptuous of you. And we got into this conversation about whether or not I really was secure in knowing who I am in Christ. He said, well, there's some things you've got to do. There's got... I was like, well, wait a second. Those are things that come after the fact. The bottom line is, is that I've placed my faith in Christ, and that's where my security lies. And it's amazing how much resistance you get to the simplicity of that message. And so as you look around this morning and you think about there's people that come into Springbrook, they have questions, you know, they have questions about God and the Bible. This is the place that you need to be to get them answered. You need to know before you walk out of here this morning that God does love you, but your faith and your belief in him is what's critical. It's, it, it's about understanding who he is. It's about understanding that we live in a fallen world and we need a savior and that God came down in the form of Jesus Christ to offer us this. This is a great gift. This is something to be excited about. And as you think about your community, and as you think about your workplace or your school or maybe your neighborhood, I think the statistics for the people that are to the left actually become a little bit bigger. It's my experience that the majority of people in our community are on the left side of that. They do not have a relationship with Christ. You know, I was talking to... Uh, uh, a guy at Trader Joe's um, the other day, we were buying stuff for Thanksgiving. What are you going to do? We're going for a trip. What are you going to do? So we're talking about Christmas, and then boom. So where do you go to church? You go to church anywhere? He goes, oh, yeah, I go to church. I was like, oh, where do you go? We're going to go here. I said, so you made a faith commitment? Oh, yeah, I made a faith commitment when I was 12. I was like, hey, good for you. I said, do you go to church anywhere now? He goes, no, I'm kind of looking around. My parents go here, but I'm looking for something that you know, I can get connected to. I said, oh, man, come on out. So I was one, one conversation out of probably 50 conversations that I had last week. 
somebody that was able to say, hey, yeah, I've made a faith commitment. I love talking to people at, at the, the line of grocery store or at Panera or just in conversation with my neighbors. Very rarely do I run into somebody that says, hey, yeah, I've, I've, made, I've made a faith commitment or I'm a Christ follower. I've been born again. And so culturally, and this has been my experience. I don't know what yours has been. There's probably one in ten people that have made a faith commitment that live in our community. And so I would encourage you next week as you're kind of going about your day um, to start talking to people about who Jesus is. Just, you know, talk, ask them. You go to church and what are your thoughts about Jesus? And I'd like to know if your experience is any different than mine. But from a cultural perspective, we live in an area that is ignorant about the fact that it is this simple to have the assurance of heaven. It's this simple to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And these conversations are ones that we should all be having. And so as I look at this, my heart just kind of breaks for the people on the left. I am so excited about what we have on the right. I am so excited about the opportunity we have to come together to invest in one another, to do discipleship and to equip and to build one another up. But, you know, my heart breaks for people that don't have what we have. And that, that line right there, that's not a wall. It's not as if you have to break through it. That's a decision point that each person has to make. The great part about this is that anybody can cross over that line of faith. There's nothing that you have to do except believe in your heart that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and to place your faith in him, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so that line is a a decision point. You know, we are either Christ followers or not. You're either a Christian or you're not. You have a relationship with Christ or you don't. You have the assurance of heaven or not. And so it's an either or. It's not a both and. There's not a, there's not a gray area in this. We have to make a decision to place our faith in Christ. In John 1, uh, John chapter 12, verse, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. And uh, if you brought your insert with you, I'd like to invite you to pull that out with me. This passage is on your handout, but there's a correction. Um, I think I put uh, the book of Mark on there, Mark 10 or something. And so I need you to cross that out because if somebody finds that, I don't want them to have the wrong address for that verse. <laughs> and so correct that on your passage. It is true that Jesus came to, uh, to serve and not be served. Uh, it is true that he uh, died as a sacrifice for all, but that verse does not go with that passage. But in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, To all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. And so when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a child of God. And that's different than God's loving you. God loves everyone, but it's those that have believed in his name that he gives the right to be called children of God. And it's a difference between being loved and, and being a child. You know, my daughter Mallory um, came home last night, and I had gone to bed. In fact, I think the whole house was dark, and everybody was in bed, so she came home a little bit late. And so uh, there was a rustling at the door, and uh, you could hear the door come open. The dog started barking, and uh, I'm listening to say, wow, what's some, who's, somebody's coming in the door. And all of a sudden, I heard Mallory down there telling the dogs, Be quiet! <laughs> And so the dogs got quiet because they knew it was Maori, and then I relaxed because I knew it was my daughter. And so one of my family members came in last night after dark, and uh, there was this kind of, you know, the dogs were kind of freaking out, and I was kind of waiting to see who it was, and it was Maori. Oh, it's a family member. A family member can come into my house after dark. I don't have a problem with that. But if somebody 
from the street or somebody from the neighborhood or somebody just pulled up in front of my house and got out of their car and started banging on my door, what's going to happen? The dogs are going to start barking, and when they break in, they're not going to stop. And I'm going to have to get up to go figure out what it is. And so if a non-family member breaks into my house after dark, it's going to be a completely different kind of situation, isn't it? That's kind of what happens to us with God. God loves everybody, but only those that have placed their faith in him, only those that believe in him does he give the right to be called their children. Only then are you welcomed into the family. And so if everybody wants to become a part of my family, you know, let me know. We'll have a conversation. But, you know, from a, from a biblical perspective, knowing about Jesus, knowing his name is not, is not what this passage is about. John 3.16 is about understanding that we have this gift that is to be treasured. It's a gift to us that has been given, but we each must receive it. It's the receiving of that gift and believing that we actually become his children. And that's what it means to be... Um, a Christ follower, a Christ follower or a Christian or to be born again, um, to be a disciple is to be someone that understands, hey, we live in a fallen world. You know, we're all sinful. It's a condition. It's not just a behavior. And uh, but we have a, a God that loves us, loves us enough that he sent our son to us that if we believe in him, we should not perish. But we have the assurance of eternal life. That is the beauty of the Christmas message, that God loved us enough that he came down to pull us into a relationship with himself. And everybody is at different places on their spiritual journey. You know, we have a spiritual journey guide that I've included in your program. I'd like to invite you to take that out with me for a moment. It's a little white booklet. You know, on the inside, there's two different types of people. There are people that are having questions about how to have a relationship with Christ. There's people that are exploring the truths of Christianity. There's people that are exploring the truths of the Bible. And they they aren't quite sure who Jesus is and they they can't articulate the point that they made a faith commitment and they're not sure where they're going to spend eternity. And then on the right side of this brochure, this just kind of reflects um, what it means to be somebody that is a Christ follower, somebody that has placed their faith in Christ, somebody that is trusting, that has made this belief and this promise a reality in their own life. And so as you think about a person's walk, a person who's either a follower or there's somebody that's seeking after. And it's an either or. It's not a both and. There's, there's no gray area when it comes to having a relationship with Christ. You either have one or you don't. The difference is whether or not you've, in your mind and in your heart, believed that passage in John 3.16. Do you believe that God does love you? Do you believe that he did send his son? Do you believe that through his death on the cross, you have the assurance of heaven by placing your faith in him. And so a person will at some point make a faith commitment along the way and cross that line of being a seeker and being a follower. Sometimes it happens in a church service. Maybe for some of you this morning, it will happen right now. It's my prayer that if you aren't able to articulate a faith commitment, if you are not certain that you are going to spend eternity with God in heaven, that you would make the day that you've chosen to say, I'm going to place my faith in Christ and as best as I know how, turn my life over to his care and control. There's a prayer on the back of that journey guide. It's uh, right underneath how to make a faith commitment. And I want to encourage you that if you have not done that, to do that today. So you can read through this. Um, If this is where your heart is and this is something you'd like to do today, uh, I would love the opportunity to talk with you a little bit more about that. At the end of the service today, 
Our prayer team is going to come forward, and if you're making a decision, um, share that with them. They would love the opportunity to celebrate that decision with you. They'll love the opportunity to talk with you a little bit more about that. And I'll be up here as well at the end of the service. But don't leave here today without making sure that you've, at least in your mind, understand where you stand as it relates to having a relationship um, with God. This is the most important decision that you'll make, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And as we head into Christmas and things start getting a little, you know, chaotic, we need to remember that Christ is the reason that we're celebrating at this point of the year. Don't let the culture define the Christmas season for you. And so God offers us this gift. Uh, we receive the gift. And if you have a relationship with Christ, and this is nothing out of the ordinary for you, let me ask you this. How have you lived this passage out? Because God has given this a gift to share with other people. You know, when I get a Christmas gift when I was younger, I'd open that thing up. The last thing on my mind was sharing it with somebody else, right? <laughs> you get this, ooh, I got a new, you know, whatever it is. And I open it up and, you know, my mom said, hey, are you going to share that with your sister? And I'm thinking, hey, no way, man. This is my, this is my present. And so typically when we get gifts, you know, we think about them just being for us. But God has given us an incredible gift that we have the privilege and the responsibility to sharing with the people around us. And so if, this, if you look at this verse and you think, oh, it's just John 3.16. You know, I, I've, I learned that verse when I was what, five years old. I don't know, maybe this verse has been around with you for, you know, for a long time. What have you done with this verse? I mean, how have you lived that out? You know, it is such a privilege to be able to lead someone else to Christ. If you are a Christ follower and, and you've got this passage down and this just makes sense to you, then when was the last time you had an opportunity to share it with somebody? When was the last opportunity you had to walk somebody through how to have a relationship with Christ and actually get to pray with them? And just, there's nothing more exciting than when you're answering somebody's questions and kind of sharing your own testimony. And, and then when they say, wow, I'd like to have that, you say, would you like to have that too? And they say, yeah. And I say, well, why don't, you, why don't you pray this prayer with me? That is so exciting. To be able to have that opportunity to do it. It's such a privilege. You know, the Bible says that when a person makes a faith commitment, the angels in heaven rejoice. It is a big deal and something that is so exciting to be able to share with other people. So this is a verse that you've got memorized or you've internalized. Have you had an opportunity to share that and, and just experiment and, and, and just be a part of what God wants to do with that verse uh, in the lives of other people? You know, Paul talks about the fact that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was, he was just, uh, he was all that when it comes to the Jew. I mean, there was no other Jew that was more uh, Jewish than Paul. And he says, you know, he goes, I count everything that I am as a loss, a loss to knowing Christ. And I can relate to that because I can remember when I was in seminary, first of all, my eyes were open because I found out the Bible wasn't written in, in Latin. It was like, well, I was reading in Greek and Hebrew. Well, I was fascinated. I mean, everything I learned, every day I went down there, I learned something new. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. To sit underneath the, you know, these teachers and to learn, you know, the languages and just to be able to learn the church history and the theology. And, and uh, I remember I was probably three or four years into this. I was getting ready to graduate and I thought, wow, I should, I'd really like to keep going. There's so much more to learn. And I can remember God just kind of prompted my heart. He said, you know, you, you, you've learned everything you need to learn. There's, there's some people out there that need to hear this. I mean, it was really a struggle because I was like, wow, I wanted to keep going to school and keep learning. And, but I realized that while I was sitting there learning, there was people around me that I wasn't sharing my faith with. And so um, God just really kind of showed me and prompted me to start sharing my faith with others around me. And it just, it just it changed the way that I internalized what I knew. You know, it's one thing to know something, but we need to do something with it. First Corinthians says that if you have all the knowledge that there is, but you have not love, then you're a clanging symbol. You're a gong. You know, you, people don't hear you and what you know because you just you don't 
care for them. And Paul's heart, uh, as you read through the New Testament, was for people that did not know Christ. Paul's heart were for the people around him that did not have what he had. In fact, he says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is for them that they might be saved. And so here you have the, the, the Jew of Jews. You have, the, you have this guy that just knows everything there is to know. And he's just it's a great teacher. And he's given us you know, a big chunk of the New Testament. And, and he says, no, my heart breaks for people around me that don't know what I know. My heart breaks and my prayer is for people around me that they might also be saved. And that's my prayer for us as we head into this holiday season. This is just not an opportunity to invite people to, you know, to, to be a part of a church. This is not just a, a club that people can kind of become and, you know, and become members and join. This is a, this is a, this is, this is a, the body of Christ that has a responsibility for being the hope and the light of the world. And we have a message we've been entrusted with that will change this life and our lives throughout eternity. That message of John 3.16 is the foundation for how we live out our faith and why we do what we do. You know, it's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to know what to do with it. It's one thing to know John 3.16, but it's another thing to share it. Paul would go on in Romans chapter 10 after he talks about his prayer being for those that are lost around him. His heart's just breaking for them. And he says, look, how are those people that are lost going to call on Jesus who they have not believed in? And how are they going to believe in him of who they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching to them? And then he goes on to say in the next verse, how are they going to preach unless they are sent? You know, our church is a mission in this community. God is sending us into our community to be salt and light to the people around us. We are to be sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And this is a passage that applies for all of us. And so as you think about your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, you know, wherever, wherever you've got a group of people around you, in the grocery store, when you've got people around you and you start to tell them about what God's done in your life, when you invite them to come be a part of his plan for this local body of Christ, those are, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When you talk to people about Christ, it is a beautiful thing. And the result is that people will hear, they'll have an opportunity to believe, they'll have an opportunity to place their faith in, and they'll have an opportunity to become a part of the family of God. That's the Christmas message. God came down. He loved us. He loved us enough that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Springbrook is on a mission to tell others about Jesus, to build up the body of Christ, and to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And you are a part of what God wants to accomplish here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking to you, we can apply this verse to us. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people that belong to God for the purpose of proclaiming the excellence of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, we have a baptism class coming up uh, next next Sunday. It's from 10.30 to 11. It's going to be in between the services right in the conference room. And if you have not placed your faith in Christ, 
or if you don't know what it means to be born again, or if you've got questions about baptism, I want to invite you to, uh, to come join us for that class um, you know, next Sunday. You know, we want to help people come into this glorious light. One of the things I love about that class, and you know, just in my you know, 15, 16 years of ministry, I probably had an opportunity to hear maybe you know, hundreds. I was going to say thousands. I don't know. I ask everybody their faith story. You know, I have heard a lot of faith stories. And of all the faith stories I've heard, I have never heard the same story twice. Everybody's faith story is different. You have a faith story. And when, when you realize that that has been given to you, that's a part of what you're sharing with the people around you. Not everybody has the ability to answer questions about God and the Bible or move people from here to here. And, you know, the, the spiritual gift of evangelism is something that people have, a, that God gives people. It's an, it's, an, it's an extraordinary ability to build up the body of Christ, to explain to people how to make a faith commitment and how to cross that line of faith. But we are all called to be witnesses. If you are a Christ follower, you are a part of this holy nation. You are a part of these people that have been set apart for proclaiming the excellence of what you have in Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 1-8, it says you're going to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. We have a responsibility to share with other people what Christ has done in our life. And all you have to do is share your story. You know, we have an opportunity to invite people to church. Why would you want to invite somebody to come to church? Well, because this is where we're going to talk about God and the Bible. But the motivation behind it is ultimately not just to get them to come to, you know, the club, but about getting them to come to hear about how to have a relationship with Christ. But you don't have to wait till they get here. And so in your conversations with church, you can just start talking to people about, you know, what God's done in your own life. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? We're getting ready to celebrate a church service. Oh, we're church? I don't know. Why would you want to go to church? Well, you know, I, I've been going to church here for, you know, five years. And, man, God has just done some amazing things in my own life. You know, I made a faith commitment when I was 12. And God is just, I mean, so share with people what God's doing in your life. You know, you're a part of a royal priesthood to, that has been set apart to declare the excellencies of what God has called you out of and into. That's the beauty of the message of John 3.16. And so, you know, I want to encourage you that as you head into these next you know, three weeks, as we head in towards Christmas, to make this a time that we can set apart, not to put Christ back into Christmas because he's there, <laughs> but to not let anything pull you away from the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and knowing him fully. You know, I have a uh, 21-day connection planner that I've got out at the uh, ministry center, and these are free um, this afternoon. And uh, within that is the ability to, uh, for 21 days, the idea is, is that um, you can do a devotion for 21 days. And um, there's, a Bible, there's a Bible passage out of the book of John. In fact, if you read uh, each one of those um, passages out of John each week, there's 21 chapters in John. And so if you, uh, if you have not made a faith commitment or if you've made a faith commitment today or if you're new in Christ, I want to encourage you to pick up this 21-day connection planner and then each day read, each day, read one of those chapters out of John. As you read through each day, you will have read uh, all about Jesus' birth, about his ministry, uh, just all the way through the 21 days. And so uh, the book of John will give you a good overview of Jesus and his ministry and who he is and what does it mean to live out the Christian life. And so uh, if you're newer in your faith, I want to encourage you to use this um, as a devotion uh, for yourself as you kind of draw closer to God through these holidays. And if you are already a Christ follower, there's a place for you to share in your journal as well. I think one of the things that um, I want to encourage you with is down at the bottom each day, there's a place for you to share who you can share your walk with. And so if you are a uh, Christ follower, if you're a disciple, if you've been born again, if you've made a faith commitment, I would encourage you maybe on day one, write out your faith story. 
And then just start looking for people that you can share your walk with. Now, Pastor Dan is... You know, over the last several months, we've been doing some things with the Jesus Calling. We've got some great devotions out there. This is not a replacement for anything that you're doing, and so I don't want to overburden you with anything. But, you know, just as a part of your daily routine, I would encourage you to be starting to think about just maybe doing some things with a journal. You know, write down what you're learning about Scripture. Because one of the things that I've found is, is when I'm talking to people about how to have a relationship with Christ, um, a lot of times I get the question, well, what does that look like? And if I've got this, I could pull this out of my back pocket. And I said, well, this is what it looks like for me. You know, every day I sit down and I look at a passage and, you know, this is God speaking to me through his word. And, you know, I spend some time praying to God in these different areas. Here's some things I'm thankful for. And, you know, I'm really, you know, there's some areas where I just, you know, I do confession where I ask God to continue to, you know, cleanse me. And, and uh, so this is what my walk looks like. And you can actually share this when somebody asks you, what does your relationship with Christ look like? How do you have a relationship with Christ? Well, I spend time talking and listening to God. And this is what it looks like. And so this is a great tool that you can use um, just to help others uh, in your conversations. And so we've got these um, out at the uh, ministry center today. You can pick one of those up. And so as you think about um, next steps on, this, uh, on, the, on the inside of your bulletin and on your handout as well as up on the screen here, I want to encourage you to think about what your next step is this morning. So if you have uh, made a faith commitment, if you could put the next slide up, that would be great. If you made a faith commitment today on your welcome slip on the inside of your program, um, there's, a, there's a set of numbers across the top, and I want to encourage you to circle the number one. In fact, you can go ahead and tear that off if you haven't done that already and just put your name on there. And uh, if you want to make a faith commitment or if you've made that today or you want to know more, just circle that number one, and um, I'll contact you next week or you can come uh, forward this, uh, this morning at the end of the service. We'd love the opportunity to celebrate uh, the decision with you and talk a little bit more about that. We have a baptism service uh, coming up in two weeks, and so next week, um, we have our uh, baptism class, and then the service is going to be on the 14th. And so, you know, my wife and I have been married for 29 years uh, this past October, this wedding ring. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God's love is unconditional. <laughs> yeah, I'm married up. Um, you know, it's interesting because if I take my ring off, I'm still married. And if I give it to somebody else, you know, they're not married to my wife. This, this ring is a symbol of the covenant commitment that I made to my wife before God witnesses. And baptism is like that covenant commitment. Baptism doesn't get you into heaven. doesn't save you. It's a symbol of that covenant commitment that you're making uh, to place your faith in God and to put him first in your life. And so if you have um, questions about baptism or if you want to be a part of our next baptism service, you can circle the number two. And then on the back of that welcome slip, you can indicate faith commitment or baptism as well. But um, I'd love the opportunity to process through um, either of those decisions with you. And then if you want to pick up one of those uh, connection planners. Um, circle the number three. You can just stop by the ministry center this morning and pick one of those up on the way out. Uh, but circle the number three because what I'd like to do is um, I'm going to get the names of everybody that circles three that takes one of those books. I'd really like the opportunity just to pray for you next week and uh, for the next three weeks. And so I'm going to have a list of everybody there that's taken those. And I'm going to pray that God would just make this John 3:16 passage come to life for you as we head into the holidays. And I'm going to pray that God would use you in the lives of the people around you as you're inviting people either to the church services or talking to people about Christmas. And, and uh, so if you would just circle the number three, um, I'll be praying for you next week. And then if you've got somebody specifically in mind uh, that you're praying for or somebody specifically in mind that you're going to invite um, to one of our uh, Christmas services, circle the number four. And if you'll put their name down on that welcome slip, then we'll collect those names and we'll be praying with you that God would go before you uh, in your conversations with them. You know, we have to pray that God would go before us because you know, all we have to do is get in line with what God's already doing. God loves the world. God sent his son. We just have to get in line with what he wants to accomplish in and through us in the lives of the people around us. And so I'll be praying for you that uh, God would go before you in that. 
And so you can pick up those 10 packs of those uh, invite cards that Pastor Dan mentioned um, earlier. But uh, I want to encourage you to um, take what can ordinarily be just a commonplace verse. John 3.16 is not just a verse that shows up at football games, shows up on the bottom of our cups at the hamburger joint, but it's a passage that we can uh, live out, that we can claim for our own. Uh, we can claim those promises and we can uh, live those out. And so uh, that's my prayer for us as we head into the holidays. And um, our ushers are going to come forward now. And we'll collect those welcome slips from you. Uh, we'll be collecting our tithes and offerings as well. Uh, but would you just join me in prayer as we um, bring uh, this part of our service to a close this morning? Father, I just want to thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, the Bible says that no one, no one comes uh, to the Son unless you draw them to yourself. And so, God, thank you for drawing me into a relationship uh, with yourself. And I thank you for drawing each of us to have a relationship with you. Uh, God, we just want to thank you for that because it is a gift that you've given us. And I just pray that you'd help us to be good stewards with that gift. Um, God, I just pray for opportunities to share with others. Uh, the great work that you're doing in our lives. Uh, God, I just pray that you would help us to be effective at reaching this community for Christ, for being uh, disciple makers, for building passionate followers of Christ. God, we want to live our lives out uh, for you and for your glory. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.